Hello, peace lovers and peacemakers. This is Sarah Jamshidi. You are watching To Peace Mindedly, a podcast show I feature peaceful bridge makers. There is a chance that you are also listening to Peace Mindedly on the podcast program. Again, the program that I feature peaceful bridge makers. We are live on Facebook and on YouTube. So if you are watching us right now live, please do me a favor. Please share the conversation and the video. This is probably the only way that we can spread the word of peace, compassion and kindness on the Internet, especially right now that we need kindness and compassion more than ever. And then the other thing I wanted to touch upon is the same program is going to be available. All the information and everything that I produce here is going to be available on Goldtune, G-O-L-T-U-N-E, a news magazine I manage with a group of international foreign correspondents. We write about peace and lifestyle. So after the program, check back goldtune.com and visit what we are all up for. Thanks for joining and thanks for listening. I'm looking at my notes to make sure that I'm covering all the grounds. Thanks so much for bearing with me. So I was preparing myself for this program. There was something that was very interesting or probably meaningful was happening while preparing myself for this show. As a producer, we have a very interesting life, yet at the same time, we are bombarded day and night with news and news updates and news notifications. Every day I receive news updates and notifications from BBC, the Independent, a British newspaper, from New York Times, from NPR and all of those. And for the past few months, the news is very depressing and everything is very sad. Probably one of the reasons that I started this program, just talk about kindness and compassion and some positive stories. But especially yesterday, I was at the dental office for my daughter after a prolonged appointment that we had to make. And I was sad and depressed because of George Floyd, because of coronavirus, because of all the news notifications I received. And then I was sitting in the waiting room started rereading the book, the book that I'm going to talk about, Three Wise Moms, Our Lessons, Your Life. At that moment, during those few minutes, something happened, I think, profound. All of a sudden, I felt, I felt calm. I felt at peace. And I felt kindness in my heart. My, my heart was so stiff. And then all of a sudden, I felt things soften in my, in my existence around me and brought me to this idea that, wow, I was experiencing at that moment the power of words, the power of words. And that is exactly what we are going to talk about, the power of words and the meaningful words that can make difference within our own life. For this hour, I'm talking with Aisha Jom'an, Connie Cooper-Shefford, and Natalie Thompson. I know Aisha for a few years. She's one of the fierce advocates for peace and fighting against injustice, especially in Yemen, in her birth uh, country. Aisha is a public health professional. She's worked on many health programs and projects nationally and internationally. Aisha holds PhD in epidemiology from University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She has 
taught in various disciplines at universities, now dedicating her time to shed light on the injustice that's happening in Yemen. Connie Cooper Shepherd is marketing executive who worked with some of the world's top consumer and retail companies. They include Hershey, Cloak, Procter & Gamble, and Starbucks. Connie knows money marketing and how to implement innovation to expand on company's performance. Currently, she is the CEO and president of Cooper Consulting LLC. Natalie Thompson is an educator and entrepreneur. She has worked in both the private and public sectors and has done consulting for government agencies. She's a senior city planner for the greater Seattle area. She cares about her daughter, Joycey, and her family. She loves to dance, cook, and drink iced tea during the sunshine. So I am welcoming Aisha Juman. Salam, Aisha Jan. Salam, uh, Natalie. Hello, Natalie and yeah. and Connie. So three great, great women. I want you to walk me through the process of writing the book. What happened and why you decided that you wanted to write something for your daughters. So I'm going to start with Aisha. And then again, as I explained, I want us to be conversational. If something uh, Connie would like to add and Natalie would like to add, more than welcome. So actually, the, the person who is the instigator and not the highest priestess of, of this work is Connie. She, I think, uh, was the leader of the troop and asked us to work on this project. We are very close friends. We were our three daughters. We are also mothers of only one daughter each. Um, and our daughters were in the same grade, uh, in the same school. And given all the challenges that children were facing in, in this day and age with a lot of bombarded, like you said, Sarah, with a lot of media showing a, a very distorted version of the world. We see a lot of positive things happening, which are moments of one person's lives. And uh, these kids watch them and think this is all their lives. And then they compare th their lives to that and think that they have miserable lives. So we felt that we needed to ground our daughters in reality and share with them some of our wisdom. Although I know Natalie did not like the word <laughs> wise. <laughs> she may want to talk to about that. that so you said that Natalie that. was not supporting the idea. Did I, did, did I hear it right? Well, it was just the yes. term wise. I fully supported the idea. It's just that in my culture, you do not declare oneself wise. You do not declare yourself wise. That's something that is bestowed upon you. But through conversation and negotiation, like we always do, as mothers and friends and sisters, we came to, I guess it was me, I came to peace around the title and around, I guess, perhaps many of the profound benefits of just declaring that this is wisdom for our children. So you, how come, why, I mean, what is your culture that you do not declare being wise? So I grew up in Hawaii. 
And I am a fourth generation Japanese American, though my family is very rooted in the island tradition. And so, you know, there is a sense of, I guess, humility around the way one matures and becomes and ages gracefully. And so, with that humility, is never something that wisdom is never something that is claimed, so to speak. And so, it was a very deeply ingrained. Cultural pattern in me that made it very difficult for me to accept that we might be calling ourselves wise moms. But then, in again, our conversation, I really realized that it's not so much about for the wise moms, it's about the wisdom and the teaching and the learnings that get bestowed upon. First of all, our daughters and hopefully the other young people that might be reading the book. So excellent. I would like to hear from Connie. Aisha said that you two are avid walkers. Yes, we were. And then since we are not in close proximity to each other, we haven't been. I think that's a, a testament to our friendship. I'm just I'm just teasing. But Aisha is a dear friend and part of my heart um, now and forever. And during our, our walks and talks and our friendship with our other dear friend, Natalie, we found that our love for each other and for our daughters was a foundation that was unshakable. Really what we wanted to give our daughters and hope for our daughters. So despite our differences in, in culture and religion, size and shape, um, age, uh, you know, I'm the youngest. Um, you know, I'm just <laughs> So despite all that, the desires of our hearts and the love of each other and our daughters was overwhelming to the point we felt like we needed to leave a legacy. Mm-hmm. A legacy we wanted to capture in some permanent form. Did they understand and felt the love before we go and exactly explore this um, conversation this question i just want to mention to my uh, audience that each one of my guests are in their houses and right now it's the lunch time so you hear the beef on the background people are warming up the food and so forth and so on it's because of that just wanted to mention that this is something is happening but uh, i mean what was what was the reaction of your your daughters? I'm going to go with Natalie first, and then if you, if anyone would like to jump in, go ahead, Natalie. So, what was the reaction of your daughter? So it's really interesting. I think my daughter's reaction is more profound now, two years later after the release of the book, when we had intended to share this with our daughters. So first of all, we dedicated the book to each of our daughters. And then we shared it with them just before they graduated from high school. And then at that point, my daughter was, I think thought it was very cool that her mom and her friend's moms decided that they would put um, this book together, compile some love letters as she calls it, and then publish it. But most recently, she came to show me the highlighted areas of the book that she had really taken a deeper dive into. So about a month ago, she came with me um, to me with the book and said, you know, mom, I'm really reading this book in a very different way. And I've highlighted some real key sections that I think will 
really impact my life now and into adulthood. And so her response to your question, Sarah, was really, I think, evolutionary over time. And it has become more um, profound, which was the intent of the book, the gift that keeps giving. So every time, hopefully our daughters read it, they glean something new and more profound. Go ahead, Connie. So what was, what, what, was there any reaction from your daughter about the book? So uh, to Natalie's point, it's been interesting to watch the other daughters as well. I think, you know, Aisha was the most progressive in that she shared with Arwa along the way what she was writing, and I'll let her talk about that. What was the thought behind how to create the chapters? I want also to mention the title of the book and to show Mm -hmm. the book if possible. Yes, please, please, please. (laughs) It's called Three Wise Moms. And uh, like Natalie uh, and uh, Connie said, uh, you know, throughout this discussion, the way we wanted to do it is what are some of the important lessons we've learned in our lives that we want our daughters to have. So that determined the topics of each of the chapters. And uh, it also, for me, gave me an opportunity to discuss some of these issues with Arwa. So for every chapter I worked on, it was a value that I thought it was very important for her to have. And we discussed it as I was writing it. So we had, and she contributed a lot into the discussion because she shared with me the challenges that she and her friends in school were facing. And so that really shaped how we did this in terms of our ability to decide on what topics uh, to be looking at. Mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. Excellent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm interested to know that you are not the only moms uh, who have been uh, writing for their daughters. They are also other moms, the book and sharing their wisdom. Tell me about the other moms. So we, we broadened it. And the premise behind the other moms was similar hearts and minds as ours. Um, also uh, friends, family that we adore and have uh, a foundation of love and who had similar wants and desires for their children. So we broadened it. We felt like it was for girls and boys. The other piece was uh, we originally, it was to be something inspirational, either a quote from the Bible or Quran or inspirational, you know, a quote from a a person that is a leader or a public figure. And then it was a story. And then it completed with resources. Like if you want to know more, read this or look at that. But Natalie actually had a really good idea um, as well. And it wasn't just about us sharing the information with our children and, okay, dumping, here you go, boom. Um, Natalie said, why don't we add a page for them to add their thoughts? So it's not a book and it's not a journal. It's a live, living, breathing document of sorts that shares a mother's wisdom and engages a daughter's thoughts. And so... um, it's, it's kind of unique. There are a few other uh, books out there similar to it, but not very many at all. And so, you know, I just want to thank Natalie for, for that encouragement. It was one of the late latter editions. And uh, um, if you would, Aisha, do you mind holding the book up again? Um, so the, the, the picture on here is of a tree. And of course, there's a tree starts as a seed and grows into a beautiful tree. And and uh, you can see the, uh, the leaves are beginning to, to blow away. And if you turn it to the back, please. 
Um, the leaves continue on to the back. And the quote there is, uh, you know, these three things remain faith, hope and love. But the greatest of these is love. So as our daughters were were, you know, kind of leaving this tree and this the love goes with them and stays with them. Um, and it's kind of, again, that that core constant that they can count on. Coming from a different background, so uh, from the white background, uh, Japanese background, and Middle Eastern, Yemenese background, so how this background really helped you or perhaps challenged you to come up with your ideas about writing the book? So I'm going to start with, with uh, Connie. So tell me how... I mean, right now we are talking about white privilege and how they can use their power in this day and time to just address some of the issues. But I'm wondering your background. So how did it help to uh, bring your wisdom? Well, and I'll speak broadly. Um, I do think that sometimes us Americans are privileged, arrogant, and individualist versus the rest of the world. I didn't see that necessarily as a benefit to me other than by learning through this process and this book from both Natalie and Aisha, I certainly began to think differently and realize some of the implicit bias that I might have. So it kind of confirmed for me some of the, the different topics that we wrote on um, and the importance of them. And it also made me question some areas on how I would think about things instead of rushing in and, and fixing something. And it's this American way. It's, it's more of a, um, a more, what, what's the right word, Natalie, that you all use and Naisha, it's more of a, a community, a family, a village. Yeah. Uh, village. All of the above. Yes. Uh, approach. And that was very, because I love these ladies and I respect them and I trust them it really made me look uh, a little deeper and a little differently. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. How about for you, Aisha? I think what, it was very clear to me, just working together and knowing each other, that the basic values are all the same. We may have, we may emphasize one value uh, over the other, but the premise and the basic is all similar. And even with the faith traditions that we all come from, um, I always feel it comes from the same source. And uh, I always say, based on uh, Sufism, is there are as many paths to God as there are human beings. Our objective and our end place uh, that we all want to go to is the same, but we may take different paths to reach that place. And then we will all reunite there uh, as well. So it wasn't difficult. It was enriching to work with the people who view things differently. I've learned quite a bit from working uh, with Natalie and with Connie on this uh, that added to my knowledge base and also on how I interact with other people, but also how I interact with my own daughter because we learn every day from one another. So it was actually uh, something that enriched my being. It enriched my relationship with my daughter and with my family. And uh, like you said, this is how peace is built, is by breaking barriers and uh, understanding what we fear most is something that we don't understand. And for you, Natalie. 
So just hearing uh, these words from you, Connie, and you, Aisha, really profoundly impacted me. So I wanted to say thank you for that. And I felt the same way about the way that we approach this book and this writing. What comes to mind for me is trust. And that trust is often a word that is taken for granted or that, um, you know, was thrown out in the vernacular, but we trust is actually actionable. And what I learned profoundly from Connie and Aisha is what trust looks like in action and what trust feels like. And so we were having to trust each other that the words that we said would resonate with one another, perhaps. And they, they definitely did. The words that Connie wrote resonated with my me and with my daughter and I hope vice versa. But I really learned that when you get into a project that pours your heart and soul out like this one did, you have to do it within the safety of people whom you trust. Yes, yes. And we are going to get to that very quickly. Please stay with me. You are listening to Peace Mindedly. Right after this program, I'm talking with Representative Shelley Kloba about some of the stories and news that is unfolding in the United States and in our state, Washington State, and around the Seattle. You can find this program and other interviews on Peace Mindedly, and we are available on Apple Podcast, on Google Podcast, and iHeartRadio, and many other podcasts podcast platforms that you do listen to for your audio pleasures. For this hour, I'm talking to Aisha Juman, Connie Cooper Shefford, and Natalie Thompson, mom authors who wanted to share their wisdom and lessons they learned from life to their daughters. They wanted to just pass this legacy through a book. Aisha Jom'an is a public health professional and currently managing health projects in her birth country, Yemen. Connie Cooper is mom, sister, friend, and recognized marketing professional at PNG, Cloak, Hershey, and Starbucks. Natalie Thompson is an educator, entrepreneur, and is currently a city planner at the greater Seattle area. I have the book with me and we are talking about Three Wise Moms, Our Lessons, Your Life. I wanted to see if you could choose a passage of the book and then just tell me a little bit about the passage and also tell me the story behind that and whether or not you have any story to share from, from your daughters that about the passage. But mainly, I really want us to get a sense of the book. So who would like to go first? So should the oldest go first, Connie? <laughs> okay, okay, Connie. Go. Oh, did I just volunteer myself? I couldn't. Yes, remember. you did. <laughs> oh, damn it. Um, so one passage comes to mind because when um, you initially read it, it's counterintuitive and, and it's on power. Um, and I believe the only good use of power is to give it away. And, you know, a story uh, that I had uh, was profound when I was um, in college was there was an individual that was very cruel to me uh, in a time where I was very vulnerable. And that individual later came to ask my help for uh, a very important contest they were in. 
And um, I really didn't have time. They came to me at five o'clock on a particular day and they needed it by um, 8 a.m. the next morning. I was busy until very late in that evening. Um, and so I had a certain power, if you will, to either help or hurt that individual. I, I did what, you know, I was required to do. It was in college. I, I had a test. And so I studied until 12. And then from 12 to 6 a.m., I worked on um, helping this individual with their particular contest and what they needed that only really I could provide at that time. And um, in the next morning, I didn't. Honey, can you tell us more? So what was the cruelty and what was the project? Tell me more. So the cruelty was um, I was brand new freshman in college joining an organization. It, some folks were making noise. This particular woman came in and screamed profanities at me and said I uh, was a stupid B-I-T-C-H and uh, what was I doing? And I didn't know anyone and was overwhelmed. It wasn't even me making the noise. And so so I didn't care for this lady very much. Um, you know, they say that uh, people will forget what you do, but not how they make you feel. That didn't make me feel good. So um, the particular contest was this woman was doing a beauty contest and frankly had no talent. And so she knew that I could write very well. And she had an outfit that she wanted to wear. She wanted to wear an artist outfit. And she said, can you write me something to tie this all together? So it was no easy feat and uh, at all. Um, and so I made up the best stuff that you can imagine. It was incredible about how the world is your canvas and the colors and, you know, how you bring it to life. And anyway, she got, she won second in the particular contest for beauty and won first in talent, which is hilarious. But what that, but what that told me was that when you have the power to help or to hurt, the only good use of that power is to give it away and to, for benefit. And so that to me is where true power lies is in doing the right thing and giving to others, not in hurting others, but in helping others. Did you write a letter about this to your daughter? Yes. So th there's a segment in there on power. She read it and said, of course you did, um, which I think was a good compliment to me in saying that she didn't, I guess in her upbringing, she didn't see a different way of thinking. And so that was a validation in my momhood, if you will, that, well, that's great that all she sees is um, to use whatever gifts, power, time, money, people that you have for the greater good is actually increasing your circle of influence and increasing who you are as a person and the legacy that you, that you lead. So can you read that letter for us? You know what? I don't have the book in front of me. I oh, yeah. Okay. So maybe, I, maybe Aisha could read it. Probably Aisha can read the passage. I'm going to go to Natalie and then I'm going to ask her about her story. And then we come back uh, to Aisha with two things. First, her story and then Connie's letter. So yes, go ahead, Natalie. Yeah, so one of my favorite uh, letters is one of the shortest letters that I wrote to my daughter, and it's on gratitude. 
I and, want the story behind that. So what happened? Yes. You decided you write this letter to your daughter. So the story behind it and behind every letter is that I really wanted Jossie to get that these lessons or virtues are practiced. And the way you form your muscle around it is to live it day in, day out and to practice that. And I think um, we talk about that all the time. So in this letter around gratitude, what came to me was that it's very easy to be grateful for what our culture might consider good fortune. You know, it's very grateful. It's very easy to be grateful for the new house or the new car or the promotion. But really, the profound uh, gratitude that I experience is in the smallest moments. It's in the breathtaking sunrise. It's in the smile of a baby. It's in the walk through nature. And so what I was hoping to express because of my own experiences with gratitude in these small moments, the same way that my daughter and all our daughters can enrich their lives in deeply profound ways by experiencing gratitude, not in these big moments of fortune, but in these small moments um, and quiet moments often. Mm -hmm. And what is the letter? So the letter is in gratitude. I'm just going to read a couple of, of notes from it. And so yes. gratitude can be practiced, as I said earlier, when you stop, take notice and give thanks for everything, a beautiful sunrise, a great meal, a good friend. The practice of gratitude can become a habit. Once this habit is established, it will enhance your life beyond measure. It is fine to be grateful for what the world calls good fortune, good grades, money, championships. There's nothing wrong with these things coming your way by any means, but the kind of gratitude that will fill your soul is the gratitude for the intangibles in life, the kind word, the gentle smile, and the beauty of nature. Very good. And you think that Joyce had received those wisdoms? I think that's a work in progress, too. She's 20. And I feel like the trappings of life are very intoxicating. And so, like everything, it's a practice. Absolutely. So yeah. Very good. Yes, and Aisha, uh, it's your turn to tell us about you, this story. So I want to give us the story behind and then read the letter and read uh, <laughs> Connie's letter. Of course. Uh, for me, it's compassion because I think it's such an essential thing. And even what uh, Connie and Natalie uh, just spoke about, uh, they also are encompassed in, in the word compassion. The, the story behind the compassion letter that I wrote to Arwa was a very, very good friend of mine who had uh, breast cancer. Uh, she's had uh, several recurrences and was told she had a few months to live. Uh, she lived actually uh, six years after that, but she struggled th through those six years and she was always in and out of the hospital. However, she remained in a very good spirit. Uh, she defied even the expectations of her physicians. 
And the joys in life for her, I discovered, was spending time with Arwa. And Arwa at that point in time was about two years uh, old. And she didn't have any grandchildren. So we spent a lot of time with Afaf. And she would make a plan and we'd go to her house, Arwa and I. And she would spend so much time. And Arwa loved being with her. Uh, she considered her a grandma. And so we, we just spent a lot of her last years in life uh, spending time together to the point where when she bought a house in Florida and I called one day and she wasn't feeling well, um, we decided that we we're going to drive from Atlanta to Georgia to Florida to uh, spend some time with her. She convinced us to buy a home <laughs> in Florida um, which we did in just that short visit. And we continually uh, went to there where she would spend time with us and with Arwa. When she passed away, we still have the house and that's where Arwa you know, has, and we have our best memories because whenever we went to our Florida home, it was always time off. When I walk in the beach, um, I can almost see Afaf uh, and hear her in my heart talking to me and smiling um, at me. So it was the act of compassion that I experienced with her, but also that the reward from that compassion is that we developed a, a very strong ties with her. And we, we all had a beautiful home that we still have that we continue to use that brings so many good memories. And uh, again, with what's going on in the world today, I think it's quite important to have compassion. So with Arwa, anytime she has uh, a, a situation like uh, Connie had, where someone may need her help when she is not inclined to say yes, I push the compassion story on her. Uh, this is something that you need to do because it's important. And, and I think also because of my Muslim background uh, and the Muslim faith, despite all the Islamophobia that's going on in, in, the, in the world and especially in the US and Europe, the Quran talks about God being compassionate and merciful 114 times. That's quite a, a number of times. And so uh, it's something that is very close to my heart. Mm -hmm. What is the letter? So I think from, from mine, I say uh, compassion plays an important role in parenting and all that we do. It is compassion that allows parents to care for and love their children. It is also the pillar that we rely on, especially during difficult interactions. It is, it is an important trait to cultivate and still in ourselves and others. Beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful. Thank you. And now, Connie's. Connie's. So, Connie, I would... I'd, uh, Just pick I, a small part. Yes. So, uh, she said, the epiphany I had that night was that I had the power. I could have said yes or no. I could have forgiven or harbored bitterness. I could help or hurt another. My choice that day and ever since has been to try to rise above the hurt, always help an out, uh, outstretched hand and use my gifts for good. 
Excellent. Thank you so much. So we don't have much time. I want us to be as brief as possible. So we talked about compassion, gratitude, and giving out power. So if you, your daughter uh, comes to you and asks about George Floyd, from that point of view, how would you explain your feelings or how would you talk about the, the death and killing to your daughters from that perspective? So who would like to go first? I, I'd like to go first yes, yes, uh, because this is something that we've been discussing quite a bit at home and we've, it, it's something that's not you. So I think for me, the killing of uh, George Floyd is a simple, it just shows that um, racism is institutionalized in this country. It's an institutional racism. To have four men, uh, police officers, who are there to protect us, the citizens, think it's okay uh, that a young man is killed in front of them and by one of them, and not a single one of them thought it's wrong or tried to stop it, that's for me, again, because people talk sometimes about reverse racism. There is nothing that's called reverse racism. There is only racism that's institutionalized. And this is just one way of documenting uh, and showing that racism, and not just in the police force, it's actually institutionalized through a lot of um, organizations that are supposed to serve the public and the civilians from their compassion point of view. So how do you see this? So racism is institutionalized and then we are dealing with this this issue. So uh, how, what is the, if we want to explain this from a compassion point of view, how, how, do, how do you explain it? I think, in, in, again, from the compassion point of view, this should never be done, period. But also, I think what I told Arwa and continue to tell Arwa, that we need to speak up when something is wrong. Uh, so we can use our compassion, even if the person in front of us doesn't have it, to say when something is wrong, not to be quiet. And um, there's been a lot of talk about uh, racism and what it means. Uh, there, People say, but I'm not a racist. That's not enough. What I want people to do is to be anti-racist. So it's not enough to say, I'm not a racist, but I'm not gonna get into this. But it's also true about all the injustices in the world. The reason they propagate is because we don't have a mass of people who stand up to them and say, this is wrong. And that's where I saw these three other officers standing there and not doing anything about it. So- It's no compassion. compassion. They would have said no. But it's also about everything we see in our life. When we see something wrong, I think we need to speak up. And Excellent. the more people speak up, the less likely we're going to have situations like these. Very May good. I add to that? Yes, please, please go ahead. So, uh, one of the things I was going to talk about, it's interesting, kind of came around to landing here, is the only thing necessary for, for the triumph of evil, the only thing necessary is for good men and women to do nothing. And so, uh, you know, kind of that's where the power comes in. We are obligated um, in the Bible and the Quran, and correct me if I'm wrong, Aisha, but we are called to do only two things by our God, and that's to love him with all our hearts and to love each other as ourselves. Nowhere in what happened to George 
is it does that exist? Racism is real. Racism is a sin. And there there should be no tolerance for that. Very well said. Natalie, it's your turn. Go ahead. Yeah. So if I were to add one more letter in the book, it would be around accountability. And exactly what Connie and Aisha said beautifully is that racism is systemic. It's structural. And it's going to take all of us working in solidarity with compassion, using our power for good, in gratitude that we get to live this life where we get to dismantle what is has been so terribly prevalent in our country for 400 years. And the piece that I think would add to this book, maybe this is a part two, Connie and Aisha, is holding people to account until we get to such time that we function from that place of deep love and compassion. And until we get there, again, which is going to take all of us, we do not stand by when people metaphorically or literally have their knee on the neck of someone else and that I hope we do better. I hope our country does better uh, and that uh, when we get to that place of compassion and love, there will be no more need for uh, three wise mom books. I think there is always need for peace, love, compassion, and moms <laughs> all around the world. I I do not agree with you, Natalie. But here, <laughs> yes. But here is uh, what I would like us to do is uh, at the end of the program, I end the program with uh, something. Uh, I want I want my guests to share something meaningful about peace, compassion, kindness, and for the sake of our conversation, we are just give me one sec. We are talking talking about three wise moms, our lessons, your life. I, this is the book. I really enjoyed reading the book and I think I'm going to use it for my daughter and probably most probably I'm going to have her to read it. And I, I know that she does it gladly because she just loves books. But for here, I want us, our authors to share with us something about peace, kindness, and compassion. Or if you want to share a statement, a prayer, or something that we can take away from from this conversation. I'm going to start with um, Natalie, and then we have about seven minutes. First of all, Sarah, thank you so much for having us today. It's been a joy. I would like to, um, I guess, echo what Connie said at the beginning with three things will last forever, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Uh, and love to me is and can be a verb. It's not a sentiment. It is the way that we demonstrate our deepest gratitude for being human and the humanity that uh, crosses any ethnicity, culture, religion, which is what I have found with Connie and Aisha. This deep love of humanity, of divinity, of each other, that has hopefully been instilled in the way we have raised our daughter, hopefully has been instilled in our words in this book, and I know lives um, in my heart. And so um, in deep gratitude and love of these two amazing women and to you too, Sarah, uh, I hope your listeners 
uh, enjoy this book. I hope your daughter enjoys and gets a lot out of this book. And I just love you all. Excellent. Three wise moms, our lessons, your life. They're going to talk with us about peace. Uh, Connie, would you like to go next? You know, Natalie, you said almost exactly what I was going to say. My focus was on love as a verb uh, and as a peace as an outcome of that. Peace is an outcome. It's not necessarily what you do or through love and through surrender and through putting our fellow uh, man and women first. There is great peace and great serenity in that and should be the lens of which we look through everything with. So I I won't, um, Sarah, I won't reiterate what um, Natalie said because I I think she said it beautifully. And Aisha. First of all, like everybody said here, I'm grateful that we're all together because we do miss each other and I know I miss them. What I want to use is a verse from the Quran that says, uh, we made you into nations and tribes so that you may know one another. And so our differences, whether it's in color, whether it's in faith, whether it's in location, has a purpose. And the purpose is that we get to know each other and we get to learn from each other. And that's how peace is made. That's how fear is defeated by getting to know one another. And the experience that we have that brought us so close and brought, you know, love to in our hearts, not just to between the three of us, but for humanity, for the nation we live in, for everyone, is something that can be experienced by a lot of people if they just allow themselves to learn and be open to the wisdom that exists in each one of us. Because at the very end, we are all sacred uh, creatures because we have God's soul in us. That's how we were created. Thank you very much. You are listening to Peace Mindedly, a podcast show I feature peaceful bridge makers. So for this hour, I am talking with three wise moms, Natalie Thompson, Connie Cooper-Shefford, and Aisha Joman. Thank you so much for being with us.